If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. It's very easy to feel like, oh, it's too late for me. I didn't get in the game early enough. And I just want to say, you are not behind. You're only behind in comparison to somebody that you're looking at. So I like to stop looking at them. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. It's really easy to feel like we're too late, that we've missed the boat or the ship has sailed. But what if that's simply not true? What if the world and our lives are just waiting for us to reinvent, rediscover, and repurpose our gifts in a way that allows us to do work that brings us joy? Today, I'm speaking with the founder of Talking Shrimp, the co-creator of The Copy Cure, and the author of the brand new book titled Tough Titties. It's a book on living your best life when you're the effing worst. Her words, not mine. An award-winning copywriting expert, Laura Belgray, helps entrepreneurs find the perfect words to express and sell what they do in a way that gets them paid to be themselves. Through her work with hundreds of clients, she's seen firsthand that putting you into your work and copy and all through your business is pure magic for getting people to love you up, share your ideas, and happily click your buy button. In addition to online types, her list of clients and credits include NBC, Bravo TV, HBO, TBS, and many, many more. So if you watch TV and you don't skip the commercials, you've probably seen her words on air. In today's episode, we'll be discussing strategies for overcoming the fear of being too late to start. We talk about being disliked and embracing your unique personality. Get ready to unleash your authentic self and discover the power of being you. I am so honored to welcome Laura Belgray to the Gold Digger podcast. 
If you're ready to dig your biggest goals with each other in person, mark your calendars for September 5th through the 8th, 2023 for HubSpot's annual inbound conference in Boston. There will be multiple stages featuring over a dozen industry experts, including Reese Witherspoon, Derek Jeter, Neil Patel, and more. You'll learn everything from sales strategy to AI and innovation, connect with the leaders, and the best part is you'll walk away with practical tips that you can put into action as soon as you get at home. Tickets are selling out fast, so head over to inbound.com to get yours today. Welcome to the Gold Digger Podcast, Laura. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Jenna, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So let's start off with a heavy hitter. You have become this self-proclaimed late bloomer when it comes to your business, especially in your new book's intro chapter. Like You just kick it off and say, Mm -hmm. hey guys, I'm a late bloomer. Can you talk to me a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. It's a long one. I hope we have time. So my, I mean, my journey starts after college when everybody, you know, all my friends are going into the workforce and like, I know you, Jenna had, you know, power suit dreams yeah. when you, when you started out and I had the opposite and my friends were, you know, going to jobs in like law firms, becoming paralegals, things like that, ready to climb the corporate ladder. And my biggest fear was going to work somewhere where I would have to wear pantyhose, which you had to wear back then or, or shoulder pads or any of those things and, or get anywhere at 9am. Cause I'm not just a late bloomer. I'm a late sleeper. And so I spent that first year out of college, which is now a blip, but felt like the longest time, even though it went by fast, just like, you know, sort of applying for bartending jobs, sort of pounding the pavement, looking in the classifieds, which is what you did back then. And anything that looked interesting that said like creative job. I wanted something creative or entertainment-y. So if it said creative or if it said entertainment job or fast-paced entertainment job, what that meant was either printer sales or phone sex. And so (laughs) there was really just nothing that appealed to me. And I wanted something fun that I would enjoy. And so I spent that year pretty much doing nothing except going out like it was my job. And because I was in bed at 10 or 11 a.m. one day, I was available when a friend called me and said, hey, fact checking for this author, Lisa Birnbach, who was, she was the author of the Preppy Handbook and had this college book coming out. And so my friend was like, we're fact checking it and need more fact checkers. Can you come in? I was like, you mean today? Because I had plans to like you know, go to my step aerobics class. And she was like, yes, today. So I was like, well, it sounds like it could be a cool opportunity. So I went in and that job kind of led to everything else. And the fact that I was late sleeping and late, you know, just loafing around at home opened me up to that opportunity. So I was very lucky. I went from there to an internship at this place called Spy Magazine. It was like the cool downtown publication at the time. And this internship, I was like, okay, maybe this is my chance to find my thing. And because I, I loved magazines and thought, oh, this will be creative and entertainment-y. And they, you know, one of my jobs was to Xerox the gossip pack, like all the gossip pages of the newspapers every day for the editors. And I've had other admin jobs like that. 
But the thing they wanted from us was for us to pitch ideas and become editors there. Like it was a real opportunity. And I thought, maybe this is my shot to prove myself. But time went on and I never came up with any ideas to pitch, no story ideas. And the managing editor took me out to lunch and told me over sushi, you know, you can take initiative here. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like, oh boy, when you're told you can take initiative, when you're asked to take initiative, that's the opposite of initiative. (laughs) Like, it's just something I don't have. I'm not a fast mover. I'm not a quick start. I'm not one of those people who like, you know, sees an opening and goes for it. And so (laughs) I kind of ran out the clock on my internship without coming up with anything, but was lucky enough to be asked over to the ad side. They had a job for me. They were kind of like, we'll take her when my internship was up. And that is where I wrote my first piece of copy. It was my first copywriting job. They assigned me something nobody on the editorial side wanted, which was an advertorial for the magazine. So advertorials are this, you know, that page in the magazine that looks like it's part of the magazine, but it says promotion in tiny letters at the top. Yes. (laughs) So this was for doers scotch. And I was assigned the full page. It was like, come up with a few things for this page, like short, fun things. And so I wrote an essay, ironically, an essay on adulthood while I was still living in my childhood bedroom. (laughs) And then a quiz called do you party like your uncle Marty? Um, And it was to determine whether you were like a cool hipster or a geezer. And if you were a geezer, then, you know, the remedy was to drink doers. And so that came out and I had a page in the magazine and I was like, oh, copywriting. It's writing short, fun things. And you don't have to think of big ideas. You don't have to pitch a story. You don't have to like go out with a reporter's notebook or come up with a screenplay ideas. I was like, maybe this is my path. And somewhat, well, after that, I went to a more buttoned up magazine, which was very much not for me. And I lasted six months in that job because I was sort of insubordinate. I didn't write in the style that, that my boss wanted me to. She wanted everything to be elegant. And she would say, we need it to be up here. And she would wave her hand over her head which is the sign for over my head, but she would just say, it needs to be up here. And I couldn't make it in on time. It was a nine to five. And, you know, she would leave me a message every morning at 9am saying, yes, you're not here yet. And so within six months, that's a <laughs> long story short, she fired me. And probably best thing, you know, getting fired always turns out to be almost always turns out to be best thing that ever happened. Because Had I been good at that job, who knows, I might have gotten locked into a corporate life and moved up and up and up and, you know, become a CEO or publisher, some some sort of management position where you're presenting in front of a group about like demographics in Peoria. So from there, I went on to write TV promos, which was the dream job for me, a friend who had lunch with me from Spy Magazine said he was working at VH1 and his new job was writing promos. And I said, what are those? And he said, you know, when you're watching the commercials, like those commercials that are for the shows, for the network. And so basically I watch a lot of TV and then write these little things. I was like, that's a job. I need that job. That was the job. I mean, all I ever wanted really was to get paid to watch TV. There we go. And yes. (laughs) So he got me a meeting with the the editorial director there who had 
room for me to write a promo. She, she was like, yeah, we need writers. Here's a promo, write it. And so I wrote my first promo and then went on to write lots of promos for them and countdown scripts for them. You know, they had those countdown shows like top 20 countdown, top 10 countdown. I wrote those and I went from there to my dream place to write promos, which was Nick at Night and and then TV Land, their spinoff channel. And so I worked in promos for years and years and years. And as I said, it was absolute dream job. At first, I felt like I finally felt ambitious, like I was doing my thing. And, you know, I worked so hard and I'm someone who I consider myself a lazy person, but I was working so hard there, like watching tapes of Mary Tyler Moore show till, you know, it got dark and people were leaving and people would say to me, you're still here. Why don't you go home? Take a break. And I was like, oh my God, people are saying this to me. Uh, <laughs> but over the years, you know, it's there. I'm someone who can tend to get complacent. And eventually after like 15 years or so, I was feeling a little itchy, squirrely to write something bigger, do something more with my voice, with my writing chops, but I didn't know what. And I probably would have stayed forever had I not been let go from my big contract. I had a a six-figure contract at the time. I was uh, around 40 and they let me know it was not going to be renewed. And I was devastated. But luckily, I happened to have put up a website like my last year there. And because I was friends with Marie Forleo, who I had met in hip hop class at Crunch years before, like in 2003, she told me, when I put up a website, she said, you're going to have an opt-in, right? And I was like, a what-in? And she, she was like, oh, she pulled, out, yeah, she pulled out a legal pad and showed me like what an opt-in was and how I would have an automated confirmation email, et cetera, diagrammed it for me. And she's like, and you have to have a freebie. And she's like, and your blog, you're going to put a blog on this, right? And it's like, well, it's 2009. Isn't it too late to have a blog? And she's like, oh my God, no, you have to have a blog. You love to write, you of all people. So I put a blog on there and started building a list. She said, your list is your gold. I had no idea what that meant, but I did it anyway. For once in my life, I followed instructions and did it. And I didn't know to what end. I was like, I started writing while I was working in TV, started writing blog posts about anything I felt like, which is what I like to write. I was writing about menudo videos from the 80s or stories about how my dad called his rain boots rubbers and things that had nothing to do with my opt-in, which was five secrets to non-sucky copy. Like people would sign up for that and then I wouldn't give them a single writing tip. I I mean, I gave them the opt-in, but after that, it was like, you know, here's a story about my dad. And that sort of built me a following of people, a small but a following of people who thought they loved my copy. They were like, we love your copy. Can you help us with our copy? And Marie asked me to speak at her first live event, which was called Rich, Happy, and Not Live. And it was 50 people in the Soho House Library. And she, you know, she's like, will you speak about copywriting? It's like, sure. I didn't know anything about that kind of copywriting. I was just TV stuff. But I taught what I knew. I had no idea that I, it was two different things. And people started coming up to me at the end of it and saying, you know, I'm a realtor. Can you help me with my about page? You know, I'm a coach. I don't know what to put on my website or in my emails. And I was like, yeah, I can help you with that. Cause I knew I could write 
like a person. And most people don't have that ability to write in a human way. So I knew I'd be good at it. So I started taking those private clients. And so when I got let go, I was able to put up a, I was like, well, how am I going to make up this income? I put up a services page and sent out an email to my little list saying, I have these services for offer, you know, and I can help you with your copy. And that started building more of a business. And that's how I ended up segueing into this weird, crazy, wonderful world called the online space, or I, I just call it the space. Yes. And, <laughs> and working with those people. And over time, I pivoted again, like from working one-on-one with people to creating and selling my own courses and really making a living from my emails, which is what I always wanted in the first place. Like second to getting paid just to watch TV where someone hands you a check, like, you know, good job watching all of the Real Housewives <laughs> of Beverly Hills, you know, keep it up. There's more where this came from. That was the dream. But <laughs> number one dream. Number two is writing and getting paid for it, just writing whatever I feel like and getting paid for it. And that's what I get to do with my emails. So that's <laughs> not in such a nutshell how I got where I am today. There are so many things that I love about this. First, I love that Marie is like the pocket BFF of like, girl, grow your list. I remember the first time somebody brought up a list to me, I literally thought they were talking about a to-do list. Like they said, how big is your list? And I was like, oh, it's really long. I got a oh, lot miles of long. <laughs> and so I love that. And I do believe that even today, like your email list is gold. Like it mm-hmm. is what will have you sink or swim? It's it's incredible. So it's beautiful to see the longevity in that. Yeah. One thing that I struck me as you were speaking, Laura, is that so many of my guests come on here and they tell these deeply ambitious stories, right? Mm-hmm. About how I worked these crazy hours and I, you know, chased this person down and I did these things. And you are not like that. And I really appreciate that because I know that there are listeners here. Talk to me a little bit about what you've learned about yourself in order to like own the fact that you're like, I call myself lazy. Like, I don't want to do that. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I feel like there are two kinds of lazy and I have both in equal measure, maybe. So there's good lazy and bad lazy. It's like good and bad fats, right? Uh, Or cholesterol, like the avocado kind of lazy. And then so the bad kind which I would love to get over, but I never have, is basically resistance, like fear dressed in pajamas, you know, where I just don't want to do the things that I have to do that involve risk that are scary to me, like writing something where I don't know where it's going to start. I don't know how it's going to go, that blank page. Those are things that I will naturally procrastinate on and feel like, oh, I'm too lazy to do that. But really, I'm just terrified that I'm going to do, do it badly. And then the good kind of lazy is for me, something I'm very comfortable with is the ability to relax, to have free time. I love free time. And I know a lot of people, especially women, are terrified not to be super busy. Like they feel ashamed of themselves if their calendar isn't crammed. And I feel the opposite. So I tend not to measure my self-worth in how hard I work. It's just not a measure for me. And I actually feel a little ashamed or embarrassed if I don't have a lot of free time. I'm like, oh, I'm managing my time so poorly. I shouldn't be wall to wall. Like I feel embarrassed to say I'm too busy to do X or Y. 
I'm the same way. My sister literally last night texted and she's like, we're having a baptism. I made this little doodle form. Please let me know what weekends you're available. And literally every single option we were available because we don't like having plans. Like we love (laughs) having blank space in that way of like, my favorite days are days where I have nothing on the calendar. It doesn't mean I don't work. It means I'm free to do the work I want to do, which is like the best. (laughs) Holy grail for me is a day with nothing, nothing scheduled. I mean, I started eliminating one-on-one clients because I I loved my work with them, but I would see their appointments on the calendar and be like, oh no, it's a client day. And so originally I was like, I'm going to take no appointments on Mondays or Fridays. And I loved those days so much where I would just sit on the couch and write what I felt like writing, write my emails, be in flow, all those things. And I started thinking like, oh no, it's Tuesday. Oh no, it's Wednesday. Oh no, it's Thursday. So I took like Tuesdays and Thursdays off the calendar too. (laughs) And then it was like, oh no, it's Wednesday. That's when I like, I raised my prices to sticker shock level so that people would stop booking me. (laughs) And (laughs) it didn't really work. That's when I took Wednesdays off the calendar. It's like no more clients. That's it. Looking for a new podcast to add to your weekly lineup? Check out Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas. Every week, JLD and his guests share practical strategies to fire up your business journey and create the life you've always dreamed of. No matter what goals you're digging this year, Entrepreneurs on Fire will inspire you to take action and give you the tools to get there. JLD has interviewed over 3,000 incredible entrepreneurs, including Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Barbara Corcoran, Tim Ferriss, and so many more, including yours truly. You are bound to find the topic or the guest you're looking for. I loved his recent interview with Tyler Wagner on how to become a successful author. I honestly wish I had heard that episode before I promoted my book. Listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire wherever you get your podcasts. I think you'll love it just as much as I do. When it comes to content creation, you either do it because you love it or because you know it's a powerful business tool. Now, either way, it takes a ton of work. Whether you're building your website from scratch or struggling to manage payments, you need Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate one-stop shop that's been my go-to for almost a decade. Yes, nearly a decade. It's designed to help creators and entrepreneurs build thriving online businesses with steady recurring income. Whether it's blogging, coaching, or podcasting, Kajabi makes it simple to transform your passion into profitable online courses, exclusive members membership sites, and so much more. Over the years, Kajabi has been my rock from hosting my signature courses like the Pinterest lab to handling transactions without taking a single penny of my money. That's right. You get to keep 100% of what you earn. With Kajabi, you get powerful analytics, simple payment options, effective email marketing tools, and beautiful website templates that you can customize. And here's a little secret. You don't need a massive following to earn a great income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi who are making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers, and you can be one of them. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash goal. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash goal. Join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion today at kajabi.com slash goal.
think it's powerful to talk about this side of the coin as well, because I do believe that busy is a badge of honor for so many people. And surely the busier you are, the more successful you are. But I love that we don't subscribe to that. Okay. So talk to me about this. So let's talk to the audience that is listening right now. And they have an idea or a vision or this nudge or this whisper. And they're like, it's too late. The ship has sailed. I have missed it. I must just let this go. What would you say to them? Yeah, well, I would say it's not too late. It's never too late. It might be too late to be a professional ballerina if you're, you know, 50. But otherwise, especially now when we have so many resources available to us, like so few gatekeepers, whatever you want to do, you can do it and put it out there. But I grew up with two parents who I'm from late bloomer stock. Slowpoke stock. The two parents who both pivoted, especially then for that time, very late in life. I mean, they were in their 40s, which was probably like 80 is now. And my dad went from being an industrial engineer for the airlines, where we got free travel, to becoming a psychoanalyst, where we got free feelings. So, not the greatest trade off for me, but he modeled for me like this refusal to settle for work that was anything less than joyful and what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. It was his life's work. And he didn't, he always said, I don't want to stop working until I die. And he didn't. And my mom also, probably inspired by him in her forties, went from being a, like a musicologist, which is, I don't know what that is even, but she had a PhD in music, maybe taught music. Well, she worked in the recording industry before I was born and to working in children's books. She discovered, like took a course on finding your thing and discovered in her forties that she wanted to work in children's books. And she went into publishing as an intern and imagine being, you know, now let's say 60, because 40 back then was like, like 60 is the new 40, right? Imagine being 60 and starting over as an intern yeah. and getting someone's coffee. And back then, you know, getting called sweetheart and asked to do all the menial things because you're a woman and an intern. It's so bold and just set a standard for me of like, you have a relaxed timeline. You probably won't figure out what you want to do until later in life, or you will rewrite your career. And who knows, I might still do that again. But I feel like, you know, it's very easy to feel behind, especially now more than ever, because we it's in our faces on Instagram, everywhere on social media, we have like, 20 year olds who are billionaires selling lip gloss and crypto, well, crypto bros who've switched to being AI bros or whatever they are (laughs) with their Ferraris. And, and they're, you know, they dropped out of college and they're 20. It's very easy to feel like, oh, it's too late for me. I didn't get in the game early enough in the game or early enough in my life. And I just want to say, you are not behind. You're only behind in comparison to somebody that you're looking at. So I like to stop looking at them generally when I'm starting to feel really anxious and behind. I heard a great quote from someone. I think it was my friend Susie Moore, who I talked to you about earlier before we hit record. But I think she said something like, if you didn't see what anyone else was doing, how would you feel about where you are now? And it's a big thought. It's a good thought experiment. Like, are you really behind or is it just in relation to everyone that you see on Instagram? Yes. Oh, that's so powerful. 
It's really interesting because I was recently on a girl's trip with some very high leaders that you probably Mm -hmm. know. I saw it. Yep. At dinner, I asked them, I said, if you were not doing like what you were doing today and you could do anything like money aside, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating. Like one of my friends was like, I would be the best personal assistant that somebody could have. Another friend was like, I want to be a florist. Like I personally would love to be a birth photographer and a doula. Like I would love to be in the delivery room for everyone. One of my friends is giving birth today. And I like, all I can think about is like, how is she doing? How is she feeling? What is going on? What is happening? And it's like wild because I'm with you. Like it is never too late to reinvent yourself. And I love the evolution of the human experience. Like if we don't start inviting that in more, like we are going to go through our lives with this like unfulfilled feeling that we can't shake. It's just crazy. Yes. Yes. I would love to see you do that. Well, now you have your next, you know what your next chapter is, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, I need to know about this. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier in the call, you said, I loved writing this copy because it was really short and there wasn't a big blank page and all that, but you just wrote a book. So (laughs) this is two things. One, another reinvention, right? Going from copywriter to author. That's a big, Mm -hmm. big shift. And two, Writing a book is like staring at 8 million blank pages and writing a lot of words. Why did you decide to write your book and Mm -hmm. what was the process like for you? I mean, I decided to write it because I always wanted to write a book and, you know, I knew it was a huge undertaking. That's probably what stopped me for so long. And I had, I met up with somebody who I knew online for a while, met up with them. She came to New York, was like, Hey, I want to come to your dance class with you. That's the house class that I would go to. And so we were sitting on the floor stretching and she's somebody who's very prolific and helps people write their books. And uh, her name is Alexandra Franzen and she's not on social media. And she said to me, so do you have a body of work? And I was like, Oh, um, well, I mean, I have a lot of emails that I've written. Like, I guess if you put those together, yeah, and blog posts and this and that. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And (laughs) I I think she might have said, what about a book? But of course, in my mind, I was already there. I was like, my book, what about my book? And I remember having the thought in, I, I started it in like, you know, 2017, like, okay, I'm writing this thing. And I started writing stuff. And then I would be stop and start. Oh, yeah, I got to get back to my book. And then 2019, I remember having this thought, like, if a bus were bearing down on me in the middle of the street in New York, my last thought would probably be before I die, before it's lights out would probably be, I didn't write my book. Mm. And it's like, I really, I've got to write my book. It was just a, it was a calling. It was like, I always wanted to have something that was real, that I could put out there that was in print with the spine and that I could hand to somebody and say, here's what I wrote. So that's why I wrote the book. I forget what your next question was. Cause just, it was so long. Was the process, like oh, reinventing process. yourself as yeah. an author, yes. like that's yes. a big shift. Yeah, it is. Well, first of all, the process of writing it was very different from the things that I write, as you pointed out, and torturous once I knew what they had to be. I thought I, I thought this was kind of permission to just write down my stories, but in longer form, the things I like to talk about in email, but in longer form and without a takeaway, without a call to action. I don't have to sell anything here. And then my editor, when I dumped all my stuff on her that I thought was awesome, said, you know, where's the point of view here? Where's the voice? Where's the, 
you know, what are you trying to say? Where's the theme? What is all this leading to? What are we to take away from this? And I was like, oh, crap, I actually <laughs> do have to. It at le- I don't have to put in like spoon fed takeaways or bullet points or your next steps, but I do have to arc to some kind of meaning. And that was really, really hard to go through these stories and think, why am I telling this? What is the point here? What do I want the reader to feel and take away from this? I don't want someone to read it and say, okay, that's a funny story. Why do you just tell me that? And so that process was really tough. And it involved a year of me pacing, watching Netflix, crying, considering giving back my advance. There was a a long, really protracted period of torture, of self-loathing, of confidence crashing, and me saying like, maybe I'm not meant to do this. Maybe I am just meant to write fun emails to people. So... Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a hundred dollar credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. 
On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay. So this brings me to a beautiful point. Thank you for that. Because there is something really powerful that you talk about, which is the satisfying power of being you. And Mm. there's a chapter in your book, Deb Fishbone Likes Us, where you (laughs) talk about hate following your sixth grade bully on social media and you find her to be delightfully basic (laughs) and hilariously reveal what she did that made you be so afraid to be disliked. And at the end of the chapter, you write this, you say the key to creativity, business, art, self-expression, any kind of success I value is to remind yourself that life is not sixth grade. In fact, it's the opposite. Standing out is where it's at. Samey and normal are the kiss of death and only the weird survive. And once you're a grown up, one person disliking you can't destroy you unless they sue you, which is why I'd never use Deb Fishbone's real name. <laughs> okay, let's unpack this. We actually had a lot of discussions on my girl's trip about some people who are extremely sensitive or they just want everyone to like them. Yeah. What would you say to someone like that? Because if you are going out there and starting a business or you got the side hustle or you're putting yourself out there, or you're pivoting, there are going to be people who don't like it and don't like you. Let's mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. As we've both found out. Yes. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing. I am really sensitive to being disliked. I still am. It still stings. Like okay. that episode of sixth grade where Deb Fishbone you know, stole my best friend and made my life hell by kicking me out of my friend group and by disliking me. I mean, it really did destroy me and I left a deep scar. So if I hear somebody doesn't like me or if someone says something mean to me, it stings. I still feel it and I don't like it. But so, so the key for me is all about reminding myself that it is okay for someone to dislike you unless we're in sixth grade, where if you can destroy your life, it doesn't destroy your life. And I always think about this, like for every brand, song, movie, TV show, work of art, person you follow that you love, there is somebody out there or maybe many people who will say, eh, not for me, or, oh my God, the worst And that doesn't mean that that thing or person that you love is any less great. It doesn't mean that they should go and retool themselves. I mean, I hated the show This Is Us. Could not get into it for the life of me. I kept trying. It's like, maybe I have a chip missing. Everybody (laughs) says this is the best show ever. They're like crying over it. They can't wait for the next season. What's wrong with me? I was like, actually, the show sucks. And I would openly say that because I thought the show sucked does not mean that this is us, like the writers had to go back into the writer's room and retool it. I know that you you like truffle fries. You mentioned them in your book. Yeah. I think truffle oil is the devil. I think Stop. it's the most disgusting thing. This interview oh, ends no. right now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing though, Laura, because someone had said something similar to me of like, 
even the people who you put on a pedestal or who you think like they have done no wrong, go read their book reviews, go read Mm -hmm. their, you know, the feedback people give. And it was so fascinating because I think we all have those people who were like, they are perfect. They have done no wrong. And then you go and you sort down to the one star reviews and you're like, how did somebody not love this book? It was Mm -hmm. amazing. And I think the most powerful piece that you said there is they do not need to go retool themselves or their work because of this feedback. How has this looked for you in your life in terms of learning how to just stand holy in who you are and either allow feedback or criticism to guide your next steps or to fall away? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I don't let criticism define my next steps. I'm sometimes inclined to, like the reactive side of me. If somebody replies to one of my emails saying, like, I wish you hadn't used this word, or, you know, this really confused me. I think you didn't state it well. My first reaction is to, like, you know, hit reply and start defending myself and why I made that choice or apologize or, like, panic. I should change everything. And then I have to remind myself. It is okay. Like that person is looking for some way to be offended or, or, you know, they think they're really valuable and helpful by telling me this. And, you know, I consider the source. I mean, if sometimes criticism is valid and I might take it in and rethink something, but I don't allow it to devalue me and make me feel like I am less worthy as a person. And oh, I, I do suck. This person's right. This one person is right. right. I suck. Yeah. Right. Isn't that wild how we do that? Like it's yeah. just, and usually it is someone who has no context or view into your actual life. They just see that right. one piece of work. It's so fascinating, isn't it? It's wild. Yeah, it is. So let's talk about tough titties. I like can't say that title without like smiling <laughs> and like blushing slightly. Tough Titties is the title of your new book. What is inside of the book? Why this title? And how are you going to say it to someone you're sitting next to on the plane when you tell them, I am an author and my book is called Tough Titties? Do you feel good? That's exactly how I'm going to say it. First of all, (laughs) I'm going to say it a little louder. I'm going to like really explode the teeth. (laughs) Tough titties. Um, The subtitle, I'm living your best life when you're the effing worst. So the title came from something that I say all the time. Like I found myself, I had no idea what what this book was going to be called or even how it was going to be shaped. Like what is the theme of this book? It's my stories of being a dork, misfit growing up in New York and then late blooming into this unusual life and career. And originally like my working title, but I knew this wasn't it, was New Dork City. And then one one day I found myself saying tough titties. And I was like, I say that all the time, <laughs> A, because I'm 12. <laughs> and B, it's sort of in response to usually someone who expresses like, oh, so-and-so wants you to do this, or I think you should do that. It would be better if you did it this way. And my response to that is, yeah, well, tough titties. I'm not going to. I It is something that I say to most of the supposed tos in life. Because I'm not a supposed to person. I have trouble complying with most of the supposed to's. I'm not a box checker. Most people I know, especially women, find themselves trapped by their need to check all the boxes in life. Like I'm doing everything right. I'm following instructions. And I 
have always had the opposite reaction. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I can't because I don't want to. And so that includes, you know, most of adulting. I don't drive. I have not learned to roast a chicken. I can't cook at all. And I don't have kids. And that was a big supposed to that I decided to forego, which was a tough one. But tough titties. So the the stories really do thematically connect in that sense that like I've said, they are all about saying tough titties to some sort of thing that you are supposed to do, some timeline you're supposed to follow, some box you are supposed to check. And so that's where the title comes from. That's what it's about. Where can everybody find out more about you, get their hands on your book and explore more of your body of work that you now have? I I heard explore more of your body and I was like, tough titties, tough titties will allow that. There is a so-called titular chapter in it (laughs) that is about titties. So they can come to First of all, find me at TalkingShrimp.com. That is my digital home. And ToughTittiesBook.com is where to come find the book. It's actually a redirect. It's a a page of TalkingShrimp.com. But I have freebies there also that your audience will love. And uh, for copywriting, for email writing. And then the book is at ToughTitties.com. And then I'm on Instagram. I am at Laura Belgray. I love you don't um, make anything simple, do you? (laughs) I know. about you? (laughs) Nothing aligns. I have like so many handles. No. That is what we love. (laughs) Oh, Laura, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Congratulations on your book. And I'm so excited for people to learn more about you in those pages. Thank you so much, Jenna. This was fantastic. I loved every second of it. Can I just say what a refreshing departure from this standard achievement-based story. I told Laura offline that I connect so much with this idea of being lazy, not as a sense of not wanting to work, but not letting that work define our lives. And I loved how she knows that about herself and she brings it to light in a world that loves wearing busy as a badge of honor. Thought that was so powerful. And I also love how she talks about how her parents modeled this reinvention process that we're never too old to begin again, to start fresh, to do something that is brand new. I am so excited for Laura and the release of her book, Tough Titties. I cannot say that title without smiling. And I hope you go out and grab a copy. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 
Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home, and thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.